We've all been through dark and stressful times. Times where we are particularly anxious and worried. Times when things are not going exactly the way we think they ought to be going. I don't know. Maybe now is one of those times for you. Um, I'm struck by how easily uh, followers of Christ are, are rattled by circumstances. Uh, we're told so many times in Scripture to not be afraid, yet the first sign of trouble and we run to the hills. Uh, I want to talk about that tonight. I want to talk about worry. I want to talk about uh, anxiety a bit. And I want to talk about Jesus as a bridge. Jesus is a bridge. And he's a bridge to two things. He's a bridge to somewhere, and he's a bridge to someone. And it's on that that he tells his disciples to, do, to not be afraid, to fear not, to not be anxious. Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller in his book, in his book um, uh, Counterfeit Gods, has a little section in there where he waxes on a little bit about uh, the state of, of our own society. And he quotes from Alexi de Tocqueville. Now, we like Alexi de Tocqueville. He says lots of nice things about the United States. But he also says some very poignant things that, that maybe we need to hear as well, even though they don't make us feel very good about ourselves all the time. This is what Keller says in his book. In the 1830s, when Alexi de Tocqueville recorded his famous observations on America, he noted a, quote, strange melancholy that haunts its inhabitants in the midst of abundance. Americans believe that prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness, but such a hope was illusory because, de Tocqueville added, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. This strange melancholy manifests itself in many ways, but always leads to the same despair of not finding what is sought. What is the cause of this strange melancholy that permeates our society even during boom times of frenetic activity and which turns to outright despair when prosperity diminishes? De Tocqueville says it comes from taking some incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it. That is the definition of idolatry. And it seems to me that as we approach this text tonight, what is looming in the background is a form of idolatry where the disciples had a particular view of Jesus, a Jesus that they really wanted to see, and they built their worldview around that Jesus, and now he's pulling the rug out from under them and telling them that they really had misunderstood him from the beginning, and they really didn't know him very well. And this was causing them quite a lot of anxiety. You see, we have this tendency to, to put our trust in things that are not real. And when those things begin to disappoint us, we begin to think that somehow God is punishing us, when in fact, maybe we had just put our trust in the wrong things to begin with. And as that disappointment and as that despair begins to build, we find ourselves, I think, isolated. We've come more and more on our own little islands, islands of our own making, where we sit with our own dark thoughts, sit in our own self-pity, and we think, oh my, look how bad it is for me. And all of a sudden we look up and we realize that we've alienated the people around us. We've isolated them. Uh, we've made them uh, uncomfortable with us because we have decided to live in a place of despair. And I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus offers us a bridge off of that island. A bridge off of the island of despair. A bridge to somewhere 
and a bridge to someone. When we start into this passage, we first have to understand what just happened in John 13. Just a few verses before, Jesus has told the disciples, I'm about to leave you, and where I'm going, you cannot go. Peter stands up and says, Lord, I can go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, before this night is over, you're going to betray me. That's the last thing said in chapter 13. We come to chapter 14. Imagine that. Jesus has just told Peter, the leader of the disciples, you're going to betray me tonight. And then the very next thing he says to the group is, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Uh, that verse, verse 1, and the verse at the end of this section, verse 11, those are the bookends for this passage. Verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is telling his disciples that when you're in this pit of despair, when you're in this dark place, when you think things are about to go right off the rails, the solution is simply to believe me, to believe Jesus Christ. It's simple, and it almost sounds too simple. Look what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Literally, it's stop, being, stop allowing yourself to be anxious. You take an action to stop. Have you ever seen the old uh, Newhart skit, Bob Newhart, where he plays the part of the psychiatrist and someone comes into his office and I don't remember how it goes. I'm just kind of winging it at this point. But this lady comes in and she says something along the lines of, I'm, I'm really afraid to drive over bridges. And he says, well, stop it. She says, but I'm really afraid of the dark. And he says, well, just stop it. Stop being afraid. <laughs> I'm really afraid that, that like, Lightning's going to strike me. And he says, just stop it. Uh, we, we never want to look at God and think that God is Bob Newhart, <laughs> right? Jesus is not saying just stop it. Jesus is about to give us real foundational reasons and principles why stopping it, why choosing to not be anxious is really acceptable and preferable. And he's going to walk us through some of these uh, answers now. Stop allowing yourself to be troubled. The late Dr. Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the United States Senate for a number of years, and of course he was dealing with very neurotic people, as we're finding out. Um, he, he prayed this prayer at the opening of one of the sessions of Senate. Help us to do our very best this day and be content with today's troubles so that we shall not borrow from the troubles of tomorrow. Save us from the sin of worrying, lest stomach ulcers be the badge of our lack of faith. Amen. Now, some of us like these badges of lack of faith, don't we? We like to appear stressed out. We like it when someone comes to us and they say, how are you doing? And we say, oh, I'm really busy. I'm really stressed out. Because when you're really busy and really stressed out, what you're really telling people is that you're very important. And people cannot function without you. And you simply must be everything to all people. And you bring this worry onto yourself. And then you worry, wonder how you got there to begin with. And Jesus is really saying, just stop that. And put your faith in me. And he goes on from there. He's calling his people to something courageous. Something we see in scripture. Every time God tells his people to not be afraid. It's because he's about to do something spectacular. 
he says it when he's leading the, the people of Israel into the promised land. In Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says it to the people who are about to be taken into the Babylonian captivity. He basically says, yeah, you brought this on yourselves and it's going to be awful. But do not be afraid because I will rescue you. I will bring you back out. God never, ever tells us to not be afraid uh, without also giving us a real reason why that's true. And so Jesus goes on, In my Father's house are many rooms. Jesus is the bridge to the house of God. He's a bridge into this place of rest. In my Father's house are many rooms. Uh, There's lots of room for you. You don't need to worry that somehow there's going to be so many people following me that you're going to be left out in the cold. My Father's house is so large that there is room for anyone who wants to follow me. Anyone. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So first, don't be worried because my Father's house has many rooms. Second, don't be troubled because I am going to make a place for you. This isn't some baseless promise. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, guys and women, I'm sure there were women there too. It's me. This person that you've been walking with for three years now. I am the one who is going to the Father. You followed me this far. Trust me in this. I am the one that's going to take care of you. I am the one that's going to make a a place for you. I am the one that is going to carry you there. And he says, I will, I will return for you and I will take you, uh, I will take you to myself. He changes the image just a little bit. It's not that I'm going to take you just to this house. I'm going to bring you to myself. I am the house. I am the dwelling place. Me, this Jesus who you've put your faith in so far that you're looking at me very puzzled right now. I am the one that you need to continue to trust. I am the one that's going to look out for you. It's me. We've all experienced this before, right? Where someone we don't know says, hey, trust me. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I don't know you. But someone you know well, someone you've walked through life with, when the difficulty comes and they look at you and say, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stick with you. You believe them, don't you? Because you know them. You know who they are. And you trust them. He says, I'm the one. But then his disciples, because they're his disciples, and I love them because they're just like us. Uh, Thomas is probably my favorite disciple. Doubting Thomas, you know, he gets a bad rap. Doubting Thomas. Imagine that. The guy asks a couple questions, and for 2,000 years he gets called Doubting Thomas. Right? He only gets quoted three times in Scripture, but he's been labeled. You know, this is off track, but there's another disciple. Judas, not Iscariot. Imagine, for the rest of your life, everyone says, oh, you know Judas, but not Iscariot. Like, for the rest of his life, he's associated with the traitor. Some of these guys, man, they had it hard. But Thomas, I love Thomas, because Thomas says what everyone else is thinking. Thomas said to him, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? 
Thomas is like, Jesus, please just shoot straight with us, man. Like just a few verses back, you said you're going somewhere that we can't go. You said Peter was going to deny you. And now you're saying that we can go with you and we know the way. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> please tell me what you're saying. And Jesus, Jesus says to him, he gives a Jesus answer, you know, one of these like really powerful answers in just a few words. There are like nine words to this answer. I am the way and the truth and the life. Not only am I a bridge to a place, but I am a bridge to a person. I'm a bridge to God himself. And we need to, we need to unpack that a little bit. Uh, Jesus says, don't be worried because I am the bridge to God himself. First, he says, I am the way. Uh, the way uh, speaks of a connection between two points. In, in this particular passage, the way is a connection between humanity and their creator. But in, in Jesus' day, in this, in this time period, if someone talked about the way, they often talked about the way in combination with the word truth, the way of truth. And to be in the way of truth was to live in a proper relationship with the Father, with your Creator, with Jehovah, to walk with Him, to, to follow the law, to follow the sacrifices, to be a person who lived in the way of truth. We see this in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 119. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. Psalm 16. You make known to me the pathway of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus says, look, you don't know where I'm going. It's okay. I'm the way. You don't need to actually know where you're going. You just need to know me. And I'll get you there. Because I am the way. I am the one who is going to walk in the way of truthfulness. Walk in the way of life. Walk in the path of righteousness that will pave the way and become the bridge between you and your creator. I'm the way. Don't be worried. Don't be confused. Just know me. Just know me. I am the truth, he says next. I am the truth. Uh, truth in scripture is a primary characteristic of God. Uh, Psalm 31, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Isaiah 65, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. There's something about swearing an oath by the God of truth. It's, it's not just some idea of a disconnected God. It's the God who embodies all that is true, all that is honest, all that has integrity. It does us no good during times of anxiety and, and stress, whether it be job-related or marriage-related or sin-related or children-related, whatever it is. It does us no good to pray to a God who isn't the God of truth, because how can you trust a God who isn't the God of truth? Jesus says, I am the truth. And so you can trust me because what I tell you is backed by the full reliability and integrity of the God who is truth. But he's saying more than that too. He's not just giving you propositions about God. He's telling you that he is God. That the truth that is God is also me. 
I am the truth. And so you must follow me to know what it is that God would have for you. He says, lastly, that I am the life. I think his emphasis here on the life, of course, we, we talked about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But there's something else here that Jesus is saying in this context. And that is that the life stresses the fact that mere physical existence matters actually very little. Uh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the one who, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who will bring you out of this struggle and give you real life and real abundance. And he's looking here, he's looking here obviously to the future. But he's saying something to these disciples that they've never quite heard before. He's rearranging their paradigms. Remember, God never tells his people, fear not, unless he is about to do something that they've never seen before. And he's telling them, fear not, because I am not just the bridge to a place. I'm not just bridge to, to God. I am a bridge. I am the bridge to the God that is here with you right now. Right now. And I will take you somewhere you've never been before. And I will give you life that transcends the mess that is this life we're living right now. It's bigger and it's better and it's bolder. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way to read this passage honestly and come away with anything other in my mind than the acknowledgement that Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. I am God. Which is utterly blasphemous unless it's completely true. And he's claiming things that no mortal can actually claim. And he's messing with the disciples. Imagine them at this point. They're a mess. They don't know what what he means. And as proof that they don't know what he means, he says this in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The disciples would say, but we do know you, Jesus. We left our families. We left our businesses. We've been following you for a long time. And Jesus, in this very gentle rebuke, says... You don't really know me in completeness yet. But things are going to happen within the next 24 hours and the next three days that are going to completely radically change your life. And you will know me and you will know the Father in a way that you never have before. And we know this is true. We know that before Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples abandon him. Peter denies him. They scatter. But we also know that after his resurrection, they show up on Pentecost and the flames of heaven come down and thousands of people are saved. Like these men are completely different after the passion of the Christ, after his death, burial and resurrection. But I hear in these words about wanting to know Christ. I hear something that I hear in the Old Testament that that to know God To be known by God was the highest desire of God's people. And yet it seemed like time after time, uh, it kind of fell apart. And and the people of Israel fell short. And they could never quite know God the way they wanted to. Exodus chapter 33. Moses has just completed bringing down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. And God has instructed him to lead the people away from Sinai. It's time to move on. It's time to go into the wilderness. And Moses is afraid. And he sets a tent outside of of the camp. He goes off by himself to pray. In Exodus 33, Moses said to the Lord, 
See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. In order to find favor in your sight, consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, God, said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. This question, show me your ways that I may know you, is the universal question of God's people throughout all time. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm showing you the way, and you will know me. Jesus is answering Moses' prayer, and he's answering it for his disciples, and he's answering it for you and for me. And if their minds weren't blown yet, Philip says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So Philip's like, I love this idea of knowing God. I want to show me the Father. He's not connecting what Jesus is saying just yet. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Believe me. When, you, when the darkness comes, when you're in the middle of this, this event, and it looks like everything is about to come apart, you need to do one thing. Believe me. Believe me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am leaving you, but I will come again. I will take you into myself, and you will be with me always. Believe me. And if you can't believe me, Believe what you've seen with your own eyes, disciple. But believe the miracles you've seen. Believe the proof that God the Father has given you. I am the bridge to somewhere. I'm the bridge to someone. I'm the bridge to God himself, but not just a distant God. I'm a bridge to the God that is here now and is making you a promise now. And it's important for us not to overlook this, because it sounds flippant to say, don't worry, believe God. That, that sounds flippant, flippant and it, it sounds simple. And it wasn't easy for the disciples. At that moment, when Jesus said, I am the way, this was said by someone who was very shortly to hang impotently upon a cross. Uh, he was not going to look like any sort of way to anything except death. When he said, I am the truth, this was a man who very shortly was going to fall victim to lies. And the liars were going to win, at least in the short run. When he says, I am the life, this is a man who in a matter of hours is going to be taken off of a cross as a corpse and put in the ground. There is nothing about these circumstances right now if you're a disciple that says, I need to believe Jesus because it's all about to come apart. And yet. Jesus said, no matter the circumstances, believe me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And God, as, as Ethan's new mantra, God never picks you up without putting you down in a wider place. 
when God says to his people, when Jesus says to his disciples, do not be afraid, do not let your hearts be troubled, it's because he's about to do something fantastic. And so I encourage you tonight, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is a rough, this is a rough season. We've all experienced it. There's a lot of vitriol out there. There's a lot of things happening in each of our lives that are personal, job-related, family-related. There's a lot of junk going on. And I just want you to know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Believe Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life.